Welcome to the Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind-the-scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them. Let's go through what they did, and you give them a grade. In this case, pass or fail, because you can't get a a B in safety. You can't get a C in safety. It's either you did it perfect, you passed, or you failed. Please rise. Court is now in session. All right. Well, welcome to the Great Trials Podcast. Uh, this is Steve Lowry, along with the uh, very talented Yvonne Godfrey. Um, Yvonne, I, I I think you understand, and we'll talk about it on the show. I'm feeling a lot of pressure to introduce this uh, podcast as a game show host and, uh, <laughs> and, and to really, uh, you know, put some effort into it. But you know, that's I, the best you get from me. Yeah. That, well, I mean, that was pretty good. I mean, we <laughs> we read a lot of transcripts. We read a lot of transcripts to prepare for our guests on the show, but this is one of the most interesting transcripts I've read in, in a while. Yeah, I'll have to say, uh, and, and we'll introduce our guests here in a second. I won't, uh, I won't hold out on it, but um, just in reading the transcript and, you know, a lot of times reading, you, you can't really get a sense of what's going on in the courtroom, but you could tell that, uh, that our guests today uh, have a lot of fun trying cases and, uh, and that uh, definitely shines through. So, um, so without any further ado, I'll go ahead and introduce our guests, uh, Brian Brighter and Chance Pardone. Uh, from the law offices of Brian Brighter, which uh, are, are based in Los Angeles, but also have an office in Miami. And uh, if you want to look up Brian and Chance, you can look them up at Brian Brighter. That's Brian with an I and Brighter is B-R-E-I-T-E-R.com. Brian and Chance, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. This, uh, you know, as we were saying, and we were making a little joke before about the uh, about doing this as a game show host, and we'll we'll save it for later in the show. But uh, one of the best parts of reading this transcript was uh, was reading uh, Brian uh, acting as a game show host during his closing argument. Well, I hope you were able to imagine the um, cheesy sound of my voice in your head uh, right. while you were reading it. Uh, and there was, you know, all the bells and whistles that go along with it. So. Yeah, no, it, it was great. And, uh, you know, and all the uh, the the uh, buzzers and the baloney meter, uh, we'll get into all of that. <laughs> yeah, it had to be a fun jury to be on. I mean, to the extent jury duty can be fun, obviously, it's 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 serious stuff, as we'll talk about. But but it had to be like, you've got to have jury duty. This is probably a good jury to get on. Well, you know, when, uh, when CJ, I call chance CJ, uh, when, when we do a trial from the beginning, we make it a show worth the price of admission, which is $15 a day for jurors. Uh, (laughs) We're paying them to sit through our show. (laughs) I think it's only for the first three days. Anyway, they get (laughs) right. Right. (laughs) Well, uh, and and so I should say, let me just go ahead and give a little bit of background on both of you. Both of you are in the Los Angeles office, is that right? Or both are, are based out in Los Angeles, is that right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm from Miami originally, okay. and uh, I, I started my practice in 1995 in Miami, uh, then moved out here and opened the office in 2000. Uh, so nice. yeah, we're, we're based here in LA, but uh, we have... Um, David Chonin, another fine attorney who runs the Miami office. And when there's no pandemic, I'm flying back and forth right. pretty regularly doing cases, trials. Yeah, both, yeah. I think you, uh, you picked two of the states that are some of the worst hit with the pandemic. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was, uh, <laughs> I had planned that out a lot. Right. Well, we can't really talk here in Georgia. I was going to say, <laughs> uh, we can't throw stones. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, Brian, I'm going to start with you. So, uh, um, so Brian, not only are you uh, just a fantastic trial lawyer with a great record in the courtroom, but uh, have been a professional actor for 30 years and used some of those professional acting skills in the courtroom, uh, like playing a game show host. Um, you've been uh, nominated as the trial lawyer of the year by the Consumer Attorneys Association of Los Angeles. You're a lifetime fellow of the American Board of Trial Advocates. Uh, a National Trial Lawyers Top 100, a uh, yearly super lawyer, uh, and have been an adjunct professor at uh, Pepperdine Law School teaching improvisational mediation, which I've, I definitely want to hear more about, and then have also taught at the uh, University of Calgary School of Law. Tw tell us quickly, what is, the, uh, what is improvisational mediation? So uh, I a mediator who's one of the creators of modern mediation. His name is Jeff Crivis, who's fantastic. Everybody knows him in California, at least. Um, he and I met and we decided to use the rules of improvisational theater, which is what my background in acting primarily is, and use those tools for mediation. Because in mediation, there's no script. And if you're going by a script, you're, you're never going to really be creative in settling cases. Right. Then we started incorporating that into use at trial and for storytelling. And Chance and I employ a lot of those techniques when we're presenting our cases, our trials to juries. We do it during depositions and during voir dire, especially using these improvisational theater techniques uh, which, you know, date back to the 1950s with Viola Spolin and, uh, you know, Del Close and some of these amazing uh, creators of modern day improv. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's definitely a mediation uh, class I'd like to take sometime. Yeah, it's very um, well, and let, let me introduce CJ or Chance. Uh, we'll, we'll go by CJ if that's all right with you, if that's what you uh, normally go by. It works for me. All right. All right. So I understand you started as a law clerk uh, with Brian at, at his law firm uh, and then became became a lawyer there and have had uh, just tremendous success both uh, in uh, multiple trial verdicts and settlements. Um, before you uh, started as a lawyer, though, you were both an EMT and an ocean lifeguard, right? That's right. I was a uh, ocean lifeguard with the County of Los Angeles for about 10 years before I uh, switched full time to the law. Oh, my goodness. And then and then on top of that, a division one water polo player. And uh, I think everybody knows that water polo is one of the easier sports to play. It doesn't take uh, really any kind of stamina. <laughs> That's 100 percent right. <laughs> Wait, Chance, did you ever c compete in like those lifeguarding competitions? I did. I did. That is so cool. You know, Chance and I uh, played water polo together. That's how we met. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so when I first had him coming, I required him to be in a Speedo every day as part of it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what I get. This is a Brian Ryder Speedo. It comes with a matching mask. <laughs> nice. Made nice. of the same material. And so. <laughs> and, and, ch and Chance, I guess if he annoys you at the office, do you, do you beam him in the head with a with a ball during water polo, or <laughs> <laughs> he would have, he would put me in a bear hug or a head right? Hug. Yeah, I'd just drown him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, it's really good to have you guys on the show today. And uh, in this, as we were talking about uh, this case, uh, you know, it's not only a fascinating case from, you know, who your client was and from the uh, uh, from the facts of the case, but just the, the approach 
that you guys took for trying it. And, um, and we'll talk about that more. But the name of the case is Atlas Ferrara versus Terminix. Terminix uh, International Inc. Uh, it was tried uh, earlier this year. The verdict came out in March uh, of 2020 uh, in the Superior Court of Los Angeles. Um, so right before the, you must have been one of the last verdicts to come out before they shut down the court system, I imagine. I think we were. Uh, it was <laughs> Wednesday and the courts closed on Friday. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the the basics of the case are, and I'll let you guys get more into the details, but um, so uh, Atlas, uh, and I actually looked him up, is a very talented uh, hair and makeup uh, artist uh, for the stars and for models. Um, and you know, had basically uh, had aspirations of starting his own uh, uh, fragrance line. Um, he was at uh, work um, and his the office that he was in uh, joined a Starbucks, had the same wall as a Starbucks. And apparently the Starbucks had been closed down because of a roach infestation. Uh, and so this is just unfortunate and I feel bad that uh, that uh, your client uh, has to tell, you, you know, talk about things like this. But he happened to be in the bathroom uh, at the time um, doing his business uh, when uh, Terminix uh, came in to spray, I guess, you know, multiple pesticides uh, into the walls uh, to get rid of the roaches. And as he was uh, uh, using the restroom, um, this toxic pesticide smoke starts coming into the restroom. Uh, he obviously can't run out of the restroom. Uh, and we should say that, that CJ is, uh, is, he's got the background for his Zoom is the, uh, is the actual restroom. So we, we get a good idea of what it looks like. And it's, um, you know what, it, it's chillingly realistic. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, and you have to point out that, that the way CJ's sitting in the bathroom, it, it is very close to where you'd be sitting if you're on the, on the, the throne there. In fact, uh, uh, this is an amazing demonstrative that I right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so, um, uh, Mr. Ferrari uh, gets basically stuck in there for three to five minutes while this smoke is coming in the with these pesticides. I'm not even going to try to uh, pronounce the uh, uh, the the pesticide names. I know that uh, the the ones that were really at issue were Alpine Dust and Psychic. Uh, that were being sprayed into there, and um, and essentially uh, he's you know gets dizzy, feels nauseous, uh, eventually goes to the uh, emergency room, uh, is diagnosed with a toxic exposure, and he completely loses his sense of smell, loses his sense of uh, taste, and uh, suffers from chronic migraines among other things, and um, and the case went to trial. We'll go ahead and tell everybody it was a um, a non-economic damages only um, verdict uh, for uh, pain and suffering, and it was a total past was three million, future was five million for a total verdict of eight million dollars. So, uh, I mean, really, just uh, fantastic work. I, I imagine, and you guys might still be on appeal in this case, but uh, I imagine the defense never saw the, those kind of numbers coming. Uh, well. I did warn them and I told them, I pulled them aside in that same room where uh, the infamous uh, game show began. And I told them this will happen to you. And so right. I gave them a shot. Uh, and I did tell them because I, I, you know, when we were focusing this case, th those were the numbers we really believed were right. Yeah. 
And, uh, and we, we started priming the jury from the very beginning in our mini open, getting yeah. them ready for that. Um, well, and, and I, I, it, I thought I saw somewhere and tell me if I'm wrong, it looked like was the highest offer they made on the case prior to trial, uh, $50,000. That was right. Yeah. And it went to a mediation and, uh, they had a chance to get out for 500,000. We had done a nine and eight for that amount. And they just uh, didn't think a jury was going to do the right thing. Now, you're using a, a, a California term. Tell us what the nine and eight is. Yeah, it's an offer to compromise where right. we give a number, the lowest number we're willing to accept. And if the defense accepts it, case is over. If they do not and we go to trial and we beat that number by a dollar, they're on the hook for our expert fees, costs and interest from the time it expired moving Okay. Forward. And it, it's a very powerful tool. They have the same tool. They can do right. the same thing. Right. And, and it, so have you all also been awarded uh, your costs and attorney's fees and things like that? I'll let CJ discuss all the hard okay. stuff. All <laughs> right. <laughs> no, since we're actually on appeal, as you okay. surmised. So we have not gotten to uh, costs and the prejudgment interest at this time. And well, have your uh, appeals been, um, you know, ours kind of... They were delayed for a little while, but now the appellate process is working kind of close to normally here in Georgia. They're doing Zoom oral arguments and stuff like that. How's it How's it going in California? Well, California, even before the pandemic, our appeals were pretty slow going. I think on average, you're waiting about a year to a year and a half. Luckily, our court system's been pretty ready to embrace technology. So they're back doing virtual hearings they're still putting out opinions. The court of appeal system still working, uh, unlike our trial court system at the moment. So right. So I, I want to start off, guys. Uh, um, you know, you, you know. Obviously, this is a tremendous verdict, and I'm sure a lot of listeners might hear and and think, you know, we're talking about a sense of smell, talking about a sense of taste, and then some migraines. Eight million dollars. You guys really did a fantastic job of painting the picture of who your client was and why to him a sense of smell and a sense of taste uh, was even you know, more than it is to, to most of us. So talk a little bit about your client and, um, and, and, and his background. Yeah, sure. And, and I'll just jump a step forward for a second. Before we even talked about how important it was to him, in the jury selection and in the mini open and voir dire, et cetera, we made that jury realize how important those senses are to them. Right. So that then they could connect with our client. But I'll tell you about Atlas. He's an amazing guy. Um, so he grew up in uh, Illinois and his grandmother was, believe it or not, a trained chef from the Cordon Bleu. <laughs> wow. So he grew up uh, with a table at his home with his family with incredible foods. You know, uh, fast food for him was like a once in a year treat versus a regular experience for him. He was, you know, having beef stroganoff and uh, trout almondine, uh, you know, like these strudel uh, and these amazing foods daily. And so his palate, he developed a palate very early. Um, so as far as food is concerned, he was someone who really had a, you know, a foodie upbringing right. and really appreciated it. And, and then also, you know, he described his kind of encyclopedic 
knowledge of smells at a very early age. He identified with smells very, very early. Um, he There was one point in the trial where he described, you know, the scent of his mom from when he was a little boy of smelling like gardenias. And that uh, he, always, and he started to fall in love with, you know, smells and, and what they meant to him. And, and, and we learned throughout the trial that smell and taste Unlike sight, which is immediate, and sound, which is immediate, smell and taste are memory blocks. So when you are remembering a party or you're remembering a holiday or you're remembering an event, it's usually surrounded by food. And it's usually surrounded by smells of the occasions. And so he really identified his whole upbringing in life with these occasions of food and smell, and they became really important to him. So like you said, he, he represented models. That's how he first got started in the you know fashion industry. And he went around the world recruiting models and for uh, agencies and went to you know Italy and France and UK and was whining and dining and got to experience these amazing foods and places like that. And then also his upbringing, he studied fashion and design and fragrance. And so he really just had an amazing arsenal at his disposal of, you know, experiences in life and all these memories that were built on smells and tastes. And so he wasn't just, you know, your Joe Schmo kind of guy. Right. He was really uh, an artist, if you will. Yeah. And, and it sounded like when you had him on the stand at trial, you basically had, you know, almost qualified him as an expert in in fragrances and had him sort of go through uh, you know, what they meant to him and, and how, how, you know, what, how, you know, great his knowledge was when it came to that. You know, there was one point in the trial, he was the uh, head of the fragrance department at the Nordstrom, you know, which is yeah, a nice story. You go in there, that's the first thing you see, you get hit with this wall of smells when you walk in there. And so he was talking to the jury and explaining to them, like how and why people pick out fragrance, why, uh, a woman comes in and wants a particular fragrance that she want to, you know, is it for an anniversary? Is it for a birthday? You know, and, and there were smells and he really just beautifully explained how and why people are attracted to certain smells. And then he broke down like the sub notes and the high notes and uh, of the smells in such a, I was sitting there with my jaw open and it was all improvised. I had no idea what he was going to say about this because I really wanted it to be, you know, in the moment and you saw the jurors not just the women but the men too nodding along in agreement because you know in his business he was mostly dealing with female clientele but the women don't necessarily buy the fragrance for themselves right. they're buying yeah. it for others you know these are our pheromones these are aphrodisiacs these are ways to attract and uh he was really great in drawing those people. And remember, he was a salesman of these fragrances, and that's exactly what he was doing to the jury. It was fascinating. I know, I know it's I know it's LA, so everybody's already a little glamorous, but did you have any concerns that because he had this impressive background, um, both professionally and kind of the way he grew up, like as a foodie, that he wouldn't um you know, you don't, most of our clients don't want sympathy, but that a jury wouldn't be able to, um, you know, sort of relate to him. 
Well, again, we brought it all back to the most basic instinct, which is everyone loves food and everyone has memories tied to their experiences with smell and taste. And the most basic childhood memories are related to. And so in Wadir, we made sure we hit all of those themes with each jerk and every one of them had experience. You know, I had a, a Brazilian woman and we talked about her favorite cooking from Brazil that her mother made feijoada, you know, which is this thick stew that has all these fragrances. And right. then I had another person from Ecuador and she was talking about the different ceviches and, you know, if you're on the coastal area versus the mountains and, you know, everybody was describing their experiences with food and uh, and what it meant to them. And so everyone can connect on that most basic level. Um, right. There were so many things that happened during the trial that really, you know, brought it home. And and um, and he had had plans to uh, start his own company, essentially, right, as a, a fragrance business that he was where he was going to sell fragrances. Yeah. So he had started a line of fragrances with a chemist and started putting together the the names of the different fragrances and their scents and actually had started this line um, of fragrances and it was going to launch right before this happened. And so part of our, you know, damages equation was, you know, we didn't talk about his lost earnings or lost earning potential because we don't know whether it would have even succeeded right. or not. Yeah. There are, you know, plenty of brands that, launch and then they don't make it. But it was the dream of that that was gone, that was lost forever. And yeah. there was no way that he was going to be able to be the, you know, the spokesperson for a brand if he can't even smell. So right. that that talent was erased and taken away his entire future. And, and I, from what I could tell, he still was working as a makeup artist uh, and still keeping that part of his business, or I guess he's an employee, not a business owner, but keeping that part of his income going. Yeah. So he was still a makeup artist. That was profoundly affected. It wasn't ever the same the way he was interacting with his clients and stuff, but he, yeah, he was still doing it. This guy's not a quitter. Right. He was still going to, you know, reinvent himself in a different area of, of, of fashion. So Yvonne, one thing I've learned in this business is that you can't go get a great trial verdict to be talked about on the Great Trials podcast unless you get the case in the first place. And that's why we're talking about digitallawmarketing.com. It's Digital Law Marketing. They are a great company that does website design, SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, and everything you need to market your firm online. Yeah, I mean, think about it. The first time that you hear about whether it's a lawyer or a law firm or a business or a doctor, what do people do now? You look them up. You just, you, you Google them. And so your website has to look good. Your content has to be good. And that's what digital law marketing can help you with. Yeah. And they make sure that you can be found too, because you can have a great looking website, but people type into Google and you don't come up at all. They will help with that as well. And the thing that I really like about digital law marketing is that they don't go out and market for your competitors. So if you get them for your area, they won't go across the street and go advertise for a competitor or law firm. 
They also have such a fantastic team. They, when I made partner at the firm, they sent me flowers, which was so nice and such a personal touch. Um, they do our firm's website and for better or worse, it's very easy to find me in my headshot that I hate <laughs> right. because they're so good at what they do. Exactly. And, and you know, the thing, uh, another thing I like about them is they're, they're extremely responsive, as you said, like if you ask them to do something, they will get it done that day. And they don't overpromise. They won't tell you things just because they think you want to hear it, which without mentioning names, I've heard from some other website marketing companies and digital law marketing will not do that. Yes, they're so, awesome. So call uh, Digital Law Marketing. You can call them at 877-916-0644 or you can look them up at digitallawmarketing.com. Again, that's digitallawmarketing.com. And tell them we sent you. So, you know, one of the big arguments, you know, in the the courtroom from what I could tell was that... um, And it sounded like it's because the the, uh, Terminix had never done what they were supposed to do, but they were claiming you couldn't prove exactly what was sprayed into there. And then even if it was sprayed into there, that it would cause a loss of taste and smell. And I think it sounded to me like the big, the, the, the big culprit or what people were talking about was this Alpine dust. Is that right? Yeah. So I'll let CJ handle this. He did a brilliant job of doing the uh, direct examination of our uh, toxicologists and dismantling their, uh, experts who we'll find out about later right. and can tell you all about it. Yeah. In a nutshell, that's what they were contesting. I mean, they contested everything. I mean, that he was even exposed, that these injuries even existed, the causation of the injuries. So anything you could think of, they challenged it. And our theory was that the Alpine dust, which is a, a very fine powder, um, the closest analogy would be like flour, and we actually had a demonstration using flour in one of these applicators, but much finer, suspends in the air, and, and really looks like a cloud when you pump it into the open atmosphere. Um, that combined with the other pesticides that they applied, including pyrethrins, pyrethroids, really heavy-duty stuff. They're all neurotoxic, um, aren't limited to just insects. They can affect pretty much anything with a nervous system. Right. Um, They went in, didn't record what they were applying, um, applied too much, didn't apply it properly, you name it, in terms of uh, violating the standards of care, their technician did it. Um, And pumped this toxic mixture over into the bathroom, which you see me in now. Right, right, <laughs> and it sound, it sounded like their expert, uh, 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 Miss Fox or something like that, who was an employee of Terminix. Did 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 she say uh, that she would have given their um, uh, applicator an F for what he did? Because that sort of became a theme in the closing, from what I heard. Right. So it actually came out during the deposition of their applicator, and that was taken by our amazing co-counsel Steve Hoffman, who is an absolute pit bull when it comes to depositions, but he had the applicator demonstrate how he applied the Alpine dust. And it's almost like a little pump and there's a right way to do it. And then there's the upside down way. If you do it upside down, it's going to pump everything in that duster into whatever you're applying it to. And he gets up in the videotape deposition. We videotape every one of these depositions yeah. and does it the wrong way. So of course 
they have to concede that that's an F. I mean, it's <laughs> it's clearly the wrong way to apply it. Right. They even have a, a Steve was great in getting um, Terminex's uh, training manual, and they even have a picture of this is the right way to do it. This is the wrong way to do it. And then there are applicators here on video showing how he did it the absolute wrong way. You know, we 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 use this technique in and many of our trials because whenever you have a bad actor, especially someone working for a company. Um, and the supervisor or the trainer of that person gets put on the stand. Everybody on the jury knows what a report card is. Everybody remembers what it was like to get your grades, uh, you know, A through F or pass or fail. And so everybody can associate with that. So when we, we put on these um, these experts, we say, hey, listen, you know, you be the judge. Remember, you trained this person. So then they are the authority on this. And we say, you trained this person. Let's go through what they did and you give them a grade. In this case, pass or fail, because you can't get a, a B in safety. You can't get a right. C in safety. It's either you did it perfect, you passed, or you failed. And yeah, so yeah. we went through and CJ did this beautifully, and so did Steve and the uh, uh, depositions to set them up. When the applicator did this, did they pass or fail? And every element down the checklist was fail. And at the end of the report card, you have to give them an F. Yeah. The jury really, you know, responded to that. I'll share the screen real quick and show you that not only did we do it with with their expert, we did it with our expert. And so, you know, Jennifer uh, Fox was, was there, uh, was theirs. And, um, uh, they just, they failed miserably and, and she had to agree, uh, when we did that. So, you know, do you agree that Terminex must follow the, the pesticide laws and admit Terminex was putting chemicals in the wall uh, of the beauty shop. And she admitted all these things and, and she had to give them an F in their failure to follow the procedures. And right. so at, at the end of the day, you know, it was an F. And so the <laughs> jury really, the really gets it and they can, they can connect with something like that when they hear it and when they see it. Yeah, absolutely. And CJ um, I, really did a great job doing that. I, I have to ask, cause I think that, that, that Terminex representative is the same person that said that she would send her family in that right. bathroom because they know to look for cracks in the wall or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, part of my strategy, depending on the witness is to get them to say more and more insane things to really right. show that they're an advocate. They're not an impartial witness. And she jumped right into it. I mean, I asked her point blank, would you be comfortable with your family in this bathroom while this Terminex technician is applying these dangerous chemicals? And she said, yes, because her family is smart. She said, I'm almost oh, wow. certain she said that those exact words. Her family is smart and would check for cracks and crevices before using the restroom. <laughs> Meaning what they would they would have <laughs> this goes this goes into improvisation, right? Here. Right. How it goes in. When you there's a game in improv called one upping. So it's like you you're trying to one up the person in the com in the conversation. So CJ was 
getting her into this pattern where she was committing and then committing more and then committing more and committing more. And I remember we were like, do we ask this question? We don't know what she's going to say, but no matter what she said, it's a loser response. No, I wouldn't let my family go in there. Great. Or yes, I would. Okay, lady, tell us your crazy idea why. And right. she really took the bait and, and went over the top. <laughs> wow. Well, so, and then, and then go through, you know, just talk quickly that, um, you, I mean, so a big part of their claim was that you couldn't prove what was put into the wall. And then was there some argument about who put the holes in the wall? That was a little hard for me to follow. But um, and it sounded like the reason why you couldn't prove that or it was because they hadn't uh, filled out the documents they were required to by law. Is that right? Right. So in California, we have a strict uh, pesticide regulatory framework, and that's for good reason. That's to ensure the safety of those around these applications and to make sure if something does go wrong, we know exactly what was applied, how much was applied and where it was applied. And Terminex had even generated a form to comply with these requirements. And number one, they lost the form, so they say, in the beginning. Right. <laughs> they couldn't find it for years. It ended up having to be retrieved um, from a government entity. And then when we finally got the form, they didn't put how much they applied. They didn't put where they applied it. So it really left everyone looking back in trying to figure out what happened with missing information. And Terminex took the crazy position that somehow that was our fault, that we didn't know how much they right. applied. And the jury saw right through it, and there was actually an instruction given by the judge that the jury could consider um, the failure of Terminex to record this information. Um, they also blamed us for not testing uh, the chemicals that ended up within uh, Mr. Ferreira's workplace. Um, and I don't know if this was in the materials we sent you, but they actually sent workers to go clean it up. We don't know what happened to the material they cleaned up. They had every opportunity to first record what they were putting into this wall right. and then testing it after. And they really chose to do neither. And well, I think they, we they, all were know clean, why. they were cleaning it up. They were sanitizing the crime scene. <laughs> yeah, they right, were right. getting rid of the evidence is exactly what they were doing. No, I, I, one of the parts I loved from the, the closing was when you were talking about their, uh, I, I can't remember if it was their manager or whoever Regional went over manager. the next day. Regional and, manager. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, you know, uh, is he going to, you know, keep a report? Is he going to take pictures? No. Why would you do that? You know? So, uh, um, I thought that was uh, I thought that was great. Yeah, well, and it's one of those situations where you f you feel like for the jury, you know, when they start hearing, I feel like a certain to a certain extent when you when you're raising all these defenses about everything that it can backfire in terms of we talk about this a lot where it's a under their defenses, it's like the no matter what this guy did after this happened, he couldn't win, you know, because if he, he goes to the doctor right away, which he did, then, you know, he doesn't go to the right kind of doctor, but if he doesn't go to the doctor at all, then he's not really injured, you know? And so I feel like when you attack, I, you all did a really good job of sort of chasing that down that look, he goes to the ER, 
the ER, as anybody knows who's gone to the ER, if you're not dying, then they discharge you and tell you to go see your primary care physician, even if you don't have one. <laughs> right. But I thought you all did a really good job of sort of attacking those things um, one at a time. But I also think it has to backfire a little bit when the defense is just, you don't, you don't know what chemicals it are, they are, and you didn't test them after, and he didn't go to the right kind of doctor. Yeah, it's a catch-22 for them uh, because it, it, if it happened, then he has to go to the doctor. If it didn't happen, then why would you even say he's going to the wrong doctor? I mean, they, right. it, it, was, it was a bad defense. I think they should have just said, we did it, we're wrong, you know, how much is smell and taste worth? But mm. they right. didn't do that. And, and so much of these trials and why I think the improv improvisational method works so well is that a lot of it is judo in the sense that you're you're kind of checking to see what types of defenses they're going to bring and using it against them and i thought in this trial especially we did a good job of kind of seeing what they were going to try to bring against us and really using it to hurt them in the end yeah yeah yeah, and just to uh, make sure our, our uh, audience knows what, what the defense was claiming about uh, uh, Mr. Farrar going to the ER was that after they looked, uh, you know, uh, checked him out, they did diagnose him with having exposure, uh, but then basically gave him, uh, an, uh, it sounded like an over-counter medication and told him to follow up with his primary care physician to make it sound like it wasn't that serious. Uh, and, and, and as Yvonne was pointing out, I mean, you're the, the way you all handled that was really good. And just, uh, pointing out that like, look, you know, ER doctors are there to triage, you know, people who are dying. And, and if you're not dying, then they're, they got to move on to the next person. And, yeah. And the, and the ER doctor testified uh, she wasn't someone that was handpicked by us. And she said, look, this guy was exposed. Uh, you can't reverse the exposure. Uh, here's yeah. what you do. And here's how you, you know, monitor yourself and just go follow up with your primary. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit um, about how you guys handled the, you know, one of the things I can't remember, I think it was in the opening, one of the things the defense attacks, and this is common, I think, to a lot of cases, um, they immediately attack that the doctors that Atlas eventually sees are, doc are doctors that he was sent to by his lawyers. Can you talk a little bit about how you handle that? Because I think that comes up for almost all of us. Again, we start in Wadir with this kind of stuff. You know, first of all, this doesn't happen all the time. Most people are not exposed to, you know, chemicals on a regular basis. And they just know to go to, you know, X doctor or Y doctor. And so when they come to an attorney who we see it all, they are coming to us for guidance. And so we say, hey, you know, uh, you might want to go see someone for your ears, nose and throat. If your ears, nose and throat were damaged, uh, here's a list and go and see one of them. Same thing. If you're having headaches, go see a neurologist. Um, and, you know, of course, we're not allowed to talk about insurance or collateral source during the trial. So, you know, it, it, you're doing a delicate dance as to how you or why you chose to go to a doctor. We eliminate a lot of that by not putting up past medical bills ever. Because if we don't talk about past medical bills, the referral source is irrelevant. Um, right. And we're like, we're not asking you for any money for his past meds. We're just here to tell you 
These are the doctors he went to. And how he found them was, I didn't know who to go to. So I asked, I was given a list. These were the doctors who were available. They were qualified and I went. CJ? Yeah, it's also a huge double-edged sword for them because when they're sitting there arguing that these doctors are biased simply by having a patient come from us, it sets them up to get hit big time when their experts get up and talk about, in this case, the hundreds of thousands of dollars right. that they've made from the defense, all the cases they've gotten from defendants. And if a jury's presented with that, it at most they're going to see it as a wash. Um, and I think most of the time they see that and say, how can we take these defense guys serious when they're making this much money this right. frequently from one type of party? And this isn't like a, you know, a disc injury and a missed case where you have no property damage. This is an exposure to toxic chemicals right. where, you know, uh, you have a very unusual uh, injury. Now, looking back with COVID, you hear about loss of sense of smell and taste all yeah. the time. Before this happened, I you never heard about it. Right. Now, jurors are probably are wondering what the jury who sat on this case is thinking oh my god wow that's how important smell and taste is it's a warning that you can be dying from this you know virus and uh and then that was taken away so what kind of doctor do you go to nobody really even knew uh, right. where you would go and so i don't think it was a big deal well, well I, I, I do i do remember hearing i'm sorry steve but i okay. i i agree that I, that I feel like loss of, of, of sense and smell and taste, you really didn't hear much about it. And I remember one of the few things I heard was that it was underestimated. This is pre COVID underestimated the various sort of safety things that we rely on our sense of smell and taste for, like being able to smell um, smoke or taste if food's gone bad, or if, you know, there's something in food that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, or I think gas. it takes, Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you just, that's something I, I would never have thought of until somebody told me that essentially. Right. And that, and that's something that um, we had our expert ENT discuss. I mean, there's an evolutionary reason why we have these senses. And one of the biggest reasons is safety. How else do you tell if food's bad? How do you tell if there's a fire in your house? Another right. thing that we did to really make the jury connect with it in a in a primal way, like CJ just said, is when you're a baby, when you come out of the womb, you're blind. You can't see. And and feeling, okay, you don't know what feeling is, but you smell your mother's breast milk and you taste your mother's breast milk. That is the instant connection a human being has. Day one is smell and taste. Yeah. That's your first memory stimulus, smell and taste. As cavemen, like CJ was saying, you know, you relied on smell and taste a lot more than you, you think. I mean, and now once we put that, that seed in the jurors' heads, they started realizing, oh, my gosh, you know, to be without smell and taste. 40% of your senses is unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, and I, I thought you also had a, a good example of, um, 
uh, of a, a real life consequence where I think he uh, was um, putting makeup on one of his clients and almost sprayed alcohol in her face or something like that because he couldn't smell it. Yeah. So, so uh, Atlas was working with, you know, A-list celebrities, uh, you know, on movie sets and videos and stuff like that. And in the past he would have these bottles that were not just in clear bottles because he would carry them in his case and he would put, you know, astringents and alcohol and rose water and things like that. So he could take them out and apply. Well, after this had occurred, his assistant had mixed up the order of the bottles. And so he was about to spray what he believed was rose water on this, uh, you know, beautiful movie star's face to, to prime her skin, to put the makeup on. And he just turned to his assistant and says, are you sure this is rose water? Because before he could just spray some on his hand and smell it. And he goes, you know, I don't, I don't know. And he goes, I'm not going to spray this on her face unless I know what it is. And when he sprayed it and his assistant smelled it, he goes, no, that's alcohol. So he was about to spray her in the face. And that was something, again, that was taken away from him. One of his superpowers was right. his ability to smell and to use his, you know, training and experience in doing his job. And it could have, you know, resulted in somebody getting sprayed in the face with alcohol, which is terrible. All right, Yvonne, this next company that we're talking about is literally a company that has been with our firm since the beginning. And I don't think we could survive with because every time we go to trial, we always have Bob or Liz or one of the other technicians who is helping us do our trial presentations. And I'm talking, of course, about legal technology services. And you can find them at ltsatlanta.com. Yes, they do all things visual. That's their big tagline. And it's definitely true. They have saved our bacon so many times and can help you out with so many more things uh, that you might even, you know, not even think about. I mean, they can help you with demonstratives for trial. They can help you with video depositions, day in the life videos, stuff for your website. Settlement videos, witness statements. I mean, literally it is anything technology based or as Yvonne already said, all things visual. They are huge at helping with demonstratives that we put in front of the jury. They are friends of the firm and have just done tremendous work for us over the years. So pick up the phone or get on the computer and look up Bob, Melanie, or Liz at ltsatlanta.com. And you can also call them at 770-554-1633. That's Legal Technology Services at ltsatlanta.com. And Steve, don't forget, we have a gift for our listeners. Oh, yeah. I totally told you to remind me and I totally screwed it up. So, yeah. So what I forgot to tell our listeners is that um, if you mention the Great Trials podcast, when you call into legal technology services or write into them, uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job. So mention the podcast, Great Trials podcast, and uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job. And again, that is LTSAtlanta.com. Legal technology services. Uh, give them a try. Well, I want to, I don't want to uh, hold out any longer. Right, let's talk about your closing argument, Brian, and, uh, and, and the, um, the game show that you introduced everybody to, to tell the truth. So yeah, uh, well, tell, before tell we get there, before yeah. we get there, I want to set the table. Okay. One thing that we did, and I don't know if this uh, was presented to you in, in our materials that we sent over, uh, 
The very first thing I did in, and I can share this with you and the jury will have to use their uh, imagination and what we're seeing here, but you, they'll be able to hear it, um, is I played this for the jury. The first thing before I even said anything about the case. So the music you hear in the background is from the movie Ratatouille. And it's the scene where the evil food critic is sitting down to a plate of ratatouille. And he's about to write a scathing review. And he takes his first bite. And he's instantly transported back to his childhood kitchen with his mother making his favorite dish of ratatouille. And that memory snaps him back into reality. Wow. This is unbelievable. This dish that nobody would think is an important dish is the most important dish to him because it brought him back to his, his childhood. And so right at the beginning, I wanted to get the jury. I'm rooting for this guy. This is the really so important smell and taste means everything. It, every time I, I know it's silly, but when we were preparing for this and CJ will tell you when we came up with this idea and, and I watched that clip, my co-counsel actually said, Oh, do you remember the movie Ratatouille? I'm like, yeah, I remember. He goes, there's a scene. And then I watch it. It made me want to cry mm. because everybody can connect with it. Everyone knows what it's like to taste mom's cooking or that, or that dish that brings you back and boom, takes you right back there. So that was something that we got the jury already anchored in to understand the magnitude of the loss. And then once we did that, we presented the, you know, our, our whole, our whole case uh, in chief and, and laid it out there for them. We told the jury why we're there. We told them, you know, who Atlas is and was, and we used, um, you know, a uh, drawings of, of Mr. Ferreira to explain what his history was. I could go back to those later if you'd like. And then, then we got to the defense's case. And I said, look, you know, here's our case. This is what we proved to you. And, and this is the defendant's case. And before I get into the defendant's case, ladies and gentlemen, your honor, I left something in the jury room. And so I took the microphone and I walked into the jury room and I closed the door and um, right at that moment, the jury's thinking, what the heck's going on? He left the trial. And I go, ladies and gentlemen, live from Los Angeles, it's America's favorite game show. <laughs> tell the truth. Yes, tell the truth. Where you, the jury studio audience, get to determine if the defendant was telling the truth or lying through their teeth. Yay! And I come out and I come out like, you know, Wink Martindale with applause. And thank you, thank you. I'm here live in Los Angeles bringing this 
beautiful case to you. Let's see who the cast of characters for the defense were. In this case, Mario Ortiz, the applicator. Jennifer Fox, the expert slash employee of Terminex, and Michael Kaiser, the regional manager, the one who did the, quote, investigation. Let's go through each of their testimony. And I went through it. This was 20 minutes, by the way, of me over. No, it was great. Over the top. I didn't stop for 20 minutes going. And I said, let's hear their testimony. He said he did everything right. Well, was he telling you the truth? I don't think so. And we'll go (laughs) through it. He sprayed psychic all over. That, we know, was true. Uh, Mr. Kohanim, the eyewitness, a guy in his 70s, tried to beat him up after he sprayed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you saw that witness. Do you believe him? I don't. (laughs) And so I just went through all the testimony. He was trained by the best. Really? Well, he held the applicator upside down. So we know he was lying again. And let's meet the woman who trained him. The expert in this case, Jennifer Fox. She said Mr. Ortiz used the dresser wrong. What? She was telling the truth. Then she told you Terminex did everything right. Lying. (laughs) She violated Terminex's policies and violated due care. She admitted that. Well, we know that's true. And then we heard that Terminex only used Psychic out of a B and G, which is a type of uh, applicator. We know that's a lie because they admitted using it in a different aerosol spray. And so I just went through each one exhaustively going through and my armpits by the way are flowing <laughs> like Niagara Falls. Right. I, I made sure to wear an extra suit and I'm almost hyperventilating at this point because I'm really doing this as a um as a game show host. Yeah. And so once I, I go through each one of their witnesses I say now ladies and gentlemen it's time for a commercial break. Yes A commercial break brought to you by our sponsor, Terminex, the company (laughs) that sprays chemicals in your face. And (laughs) then we had a picture of the Terminex guy, the guy that you expect to see in their commercials. And I sat down in front of the jury and I said, hi, I'm Joe, the Terminex guy. And we at Terminex take safety as our number one concern. We do everything right when we spray our toxic chemicals, because if not, someone's going to get hurt. So when we spray at a school or a church or at a business, we make sure no one is around to get exposed because that wouldn't be right. That is not the Terminex way. That's not the way we're trained. We're here to kill those that you hate and to keep you safe. (laughs) And that's what Terminex portrays you know so i wanted to show the ridiculousness of their defense and then what they're putting out there as their message now ladies and gentlemen back to our show and the lightning round where we present to you the hired experts by the defense and what they were paid to tell you were they telling the truth let's find out First, we have the alternative facts presented to you by their experts. Dr. Hamid Dejillian, 
he portrayed himself as a ears, nose, and throat expert. But when we found out he isn't an ears, nose, and throat expert, he is an ear expert. And uh, so we went through and CJ really destroyed them in the, um, in the cross-examination that we found out that he claimed he hadn't billed over $20,000 when in fact he did that he met with the defense and planned all this testimony. He admitted to that. Um, And he said on the stand, in order to lose your smell and taste, you need to, listen this carefully, you need to inject poison directly into the ear to get no smell. This was an ear doctor who slipped up on the stand and said, oh, no, in order for this to happen, you have to inject it directly into the ear. He's not a a nose or throat expert. This guy was an expert on the ear. And CJ had exposed like he had done like 200 papers, expert papers. They were all about the ear. So they hired this guy as a hired gun who was in a different area of expertise entirely. And so, so chance I I have to ask when this when the game show is happening what like are you just watching and enjoying the show are you what are you doing the hardest moment of this trial for me was maintaining a straight face during this part of the closing <laughs> so I there were very specific instructions I had exp- I had warned them you know I had practice this, of course, at least one time with the client to get his permission to do it, because I wasn't just going to do this kind of crazy thing without letting the client know. And I said, you guys cannot break. If you break during this, it's (laughs) going to ruin it. You have to keep a straight face and the jury will be trying not to break, which they were doing. They were, uh, you know, holding their hands over their face and and trying not to laugh. I saw them like giggling. Yeah. I even looked at the judge one time and he put his head down and tried <laughs> not to smile. And of course, we had a full audience. And so people were like, you know, not yeah. getting So everybody was <laughs> in on the joke. Um, and, and here, I'll go back to the screen uh, for a second here um, to show you what we did. Uh, Can you imagine what the intel report is? Like, you know, like when right. lawyers will call other lawyers like, oh, I've got a case against Brian Brighter. You know, what should I expect? Can you <laughs> imagine? Yeah. Like, Well, he did a 20-minute game show. <laughs> uh, well, uh, this is not the first time I've done something like this. I, I told you I do an improvised 1940s radio show. Uh a couple of years before I had done my closing argument as a 1940s radio show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another episode of Super Mom and a Half. Super Mom loses her powers due to being hit on the head by a negligently secured Pilates board. And so, you know, we truly tried to do creative stuff during our closing. So wow. that's great. Uh, during the rest of this, we, we then moved on to their next expert, Bill. <laughs> I want to, I want to point out you just put up the you smell and I remember in the thing you said you smell and your defense stinks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was purely improvised. Right, I didn't right. know because CJ did the slides and he threw in the you smell picture of right. me from my emoji and I started laughing a little <laughs> tiny bit during it and so it was really funny. So he this expert their their toxicologist had admitted to billing over $60,000. And he goes, oh, you know, I'm just an employee. I don't work 
you know, I don't get this money. And then CJ had asked him during his uh, cross-examination, he goes, do you own any stock in the company? And he goes, yeah. So the more you testify, the more you bill, the more the stock goes up, the more money you get at the end of the year. And yeah. so we played that in the, um, in the closing. <laughs> and, eat alpine dust. Nice. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> talked about you can eat alpine dust. And then he admitted I would not go in that bathroom for five minutes to be exposed. <laughs> <laughs> he was honest about that. And so we talked about, you know, the jury instruction about conflicting testimony. But the best part was, you know, during uh, the the deposition, Steve Hoffman, our co-counsel, did a great job. He got them to admit that they rolled the dice with safety. And so, ladies wow. and gentlemen, now it's time for Terminex to roll the dice with safety. Yes, if Terminex rolls anything other than snake eyes they get away scot-free so let's see what happens it's time to roll the dice with safety what do we get oh no snake eyes you lose <laughs> so yeah and on, on our uh, display it's the dice showing up snake eyes right. and uh and that was the end of the the game show presentation and i at this point i'm out of breath and i say to the jury i go that's how ridiculous their defense is. This is like a Saturday Night Live sketch. It's so crazy that they actually came in here and tried to sell this to you. It's a show. And I had to show it to you only this way so you could see how ridiculous it was. And the jury is doing exactly what you are doing right now, nodding and yeah. smiling and crossing their arms. And I stood to the side and I let them just look at the defense. <laughs> I go, there's your host, the defense, Terminex. And uh, then I moved on, you know, into the rest of the case and it took a more serious tone from there. But, um, you know, it was a big risk. And after the trial, the jury came to us, CJ, and they said, you know, that was risky what you did. <laughs> but it but it worked. Yeah, yeah. They said it, but it worked. So, you know, I don't recommend it for everyone on every trial. <laughs> you have to read the room. You have to take the temperature and see early in the case whether you can get away with it or not. I had no idea what the defense was going to do. They were going to object if the judge was going to let me do it. But you know what? I learned a long time ago, 30 years ago or, or a little bit less than that from a fantastic famous lawyer who's now no longer with us named Richard Sharpstein, who famously did a closing as Columbo with a hat and <laughs> trench coat on and a pad. And he did the whole thing like this. And I, I interned for him and he told me, you know, Brian, closing argument, you can do anything as long as you're talking about the evidence. Right. And 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 the jury wants to see a show. They do. And it, it's not appropriate for every case, but when you can do it and when you can, you know, emphasize how ridiculous the defense is, you, you, I think you have to be creative. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, because the way you do that is fantastic. And, and you left out some of the really good stuff where you uh, talked about Mr. Kaiser, the, how the dog ate his report and and uh, the baloney meter with uh, with uh, uh Jennifer Fee, I mean, just some just great um, uh, demonstratives and, and, and great argument. But I, I mean, what how did the uh, 
when the defense lawyer gets up there to start his closing after they've just watched that, I mean, he's got to feel. They do what every defense attorney does when I do something creative. They attack me. Right. They go straight to personal attacks. I'm not as flamboyant as Mr. Brighter. I'm not a, a showman like Mr. Brighter. I'm not here to dazzle you like Mr. Brighter. I'm here, you know, to talk about this case. And then, of course, I get to shove that up there to us in my rebuttal right. closing <laughs> because I count the amount of personal attacks they do. And they're not talking about the case. They're talking about me. And right. I don't say anything about the defense at all during my closing. Never. <clears throat> I tell them what the defense does through their lawyer, but uh, I don't attack them. And so, you know, what's he going to do? Uh, it's just like in voir dire. I, I memorize everyone's name. And I can, without looking at the paper, go through each name. And what do the defense do? Oh, uh, it's a parlor trick. I don't know. Uh, you know, Mr. Bra- I'm not good with names. And they're fumbling through their paper and, and, and saying the name's wrong. And then I remind them when I go back up that I'm just listening and paying attention to their names. That's that's how I remember it. And so, you know, I've been teaching these things to CJ and, and he did a closing in another case uh, just before this one and employed all those same techniques. What was it like for you, CJ, when you when you did your first improvisational closing argument? It's great because I, I've tried to do like the notes and stuff in a deposition when I was first getting started, but the freedom to react to the way that the information you're presenting is being taken, to react to things that are being said to you when you're examining a witness. I mean, I just can't see any other way to do an opening, a closing, an examination of a witness. Because if you're tied to your notes, there's no way for you to react to whoever you're speaking to. I mean, you can't emphasize a certain point, go off on a tangent that the jury seems to be accepting if you're always locked down to your notes. And that's not to say that we don't have like an outline of the information we want to present. But if you are tied to only presenting the information as it's listed in your notes, the jury's going to be able to tell you're not engaging with them, number one. And it doesn't give you any flexibility to adapt to the way that information is being taken. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. Sorry, Ben. No chance. I just, I have to ask number one, if you made those game show slides yourself and number, cause they're very good. And um, number two, if you're basically in addition to everything at trial, you know, cause it's obviously taking into account what happened at trial. If you're going home at night and putting this game show together, not sure if you're going to use it or not. So a lot of the more like slick ones, we had a graphic designer do, but 98% of the slides I do. Um, we literally go like the night before Brian and I will sit in a hotel room. Uh, Brian usually goes to bed before I'm done. So he's rested. For the night. I know how that goes. <laughs> and I will go through. I'm like, and, send me the slides at 5 a.m. And I wait. Yeah. Exactly. But the, the, the beauty of the way we approach trials as a team is that our personalities and what we're good at really mesh well. Brian is almost an unbridled creative person. And I'm a bit more analytical. Like my undergrad major was in biology. I thought I was going to go into medicine. I was like, law is way more fun. 
Um, so the way that we adapt the creativeness to presenting the evidence and facts that actually came into the trial in an organized way so the jury can accept it, that's more my role. Brian did like the morning or two before he started doing this game show. And I was like, this is genius. And then it was my role to figure out how do I put this in a way <laughs> that makes sense with the facts that we have in this case. I'll give a shout out. I'll, facts in? I'll give a shout out to my brother. His name is Alan Brighter. He has a, a company that does PowerPoint presentations called Brighter Creative, I believe. And uh, he made these really cool game show slides and yeah. so he did a great job doing those I, I i when i saw them literally the night before the trial i was like oh my god this is amazing i can't wait to do this by the way how did i come up with this game show host thing two nights before the closing i was sl sleeping and at three in the morning it popped into my head i don't know what it was maybe it was the microphone or maybe it was just I had watched Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I was right. watching the, you know, one of their Jeopardy parodies, and it just popped into my head. I said, "We ha we have to do this." And wow. CJ really did a great job with the slides. That no, microphone actually uh, was a, a prop we used multiple times in this case. I think I used it once in the the cross of uh, Jennifer Fox. I forget what I was asking her, but we did like a simulated mic drop with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it was great. Wow. Well, uh, guys, this has just been really fantastic. Uh, um, you know, is there anything else that we haven't talked about the trial that you want to make sure that the uh, listeners have heard? Yeah, I, you know, I think, honestly, the most important part is priming the jury for the, for the result Yeah. in the first minute of talking to them. So in our mini open, we said, you know, this is a case about someone who was exposed to toxic chemicals because the defendant negligently applied them and failed to warn. And at the end of this case, we'll be asking you for $15 million, period. That was our mini open. So they all hear that. Right. And then I have so much now to talk about as far as a number during what year, uh, you know, and there's one I'll never forget. So we, we were laying out, you know, the sense of smell and taste and how important it is and how meaningful that is to people. And there was one guy who was hearing impaired. And he had, uh, you know, uh, hearing de devices and we had to get him a thing. And he goes, you know, I said, does anybody have a problem with this number? Are they not going to be able to go? over and he goes, yeah, I have a problem. You know, you said $50 million and that's a lot of money. I said, well, sir, I noticed you're wearing a hearing aid. I, I didn't say $50 million. I said 15. He goes, oh, 15. I have no problem with that. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. I see. Uh, I see you're ready for this injury. And actually the defense kept him on. I, Right. And we were debating whether we should keep him on because this is a guy who had lost a, a sense. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, how was he going to be about putting a number on that? And we had a juror that talked about that their aunt had lost her sight and she was one of the most successful people he had or, ever met. And so I, you know, talked about that during Vaudier. We're saying, we're not saying he's not going to be a success and a great person. Yeah. But imagine what he would be like if he had these senses and what they wouldn't and if they didn't take those away that's why we're here and so you know you really have to get that that juror bias out there 
and talk about. We had a juror that we kept on whose father lost his smell and taste. Oh, wow. Who she says, oh, he never talked about it. It was never a big deal. And then in closing, I went and specifically talked to her. It's maybe he didn't talk about it because it was so painful. And because it had changed him so much, the fact that he didn't talk about it. I mean, maybe he was trying to, it was so painful for him. He couldn't talk about it. And so, you know, just, it's so important during jury selection to, to get the case ready. And, you know, we were famously in jurisdiction that um, is known for being cheap, which is Santa Monica. And so that was something we had to overcome as well. And, and you know, this, uh, this defense firm, uh, they, were, they were very, uh, CJ, what was the word that you would use to describe them? You know, they really had a very high opinion of their self and the firm. <laughs> they even did a motion in limine to prevent us from mentioning how prestigious their firm was. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Pompous throughout the trial, the would they kept Pompous. talking about their own firm and how prestigious it was. So, you know, we had, uh, there was so many interesting things. I, uh, we could spend another hour, if you'd like, and talking about other things that happened during the trial. But I really want to uh, commend Chance. This, this was, a, you know, he's only been a lawyer, believe it or not, for three years. And this is, oh, like, awesome. this is like his fourth or fifth seven-figure verdict uh, with me. And he really did, I think, the hard stuff in the case because he did all the science. And I guess that biology background paid off because, you know, when you're talking about perithrins and perithroids and all these psychobenzatrines and uh, the, the, the way the interplay between the science and, you know, the reality and the human, the human losses in this case was really well done. And I have to give him a big applause and also our co-counsel, Steve Hoffman, for preparing the case so beautifully for the trial. No, it's, I mean, uh, you know, just great work. Uh, it, it was a fun transcript to read. Uh, and, you know, it, I mean, you know, a, an $8 million verdict, and, and I'm not trying to demean this at all because you guys did a great job on, but I mean, most people hearing that on a loss of, uh, you know, taste and a loss of smell, I mean, that's, that's just really great work. So, uh, you know, congratulations. I hope the, uh, hope the appeal goes well. And, um, and Raz, Raz, you should, our producer, you should insert like a game, game show applause yeah, here. That's right. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, feet. tell them what they're going home with. They're not leaving empty handed. They get a free five pound bag of Alpine dust. Yes, Alpine <laughs> dust, the dust you can eat while you're sitting in a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Well, by the got, way, by the way, I can't, I can't express how uh, amazing it is to see CJ sitting in the bathroom this whole time. <laughs> yeah, this whole time, yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we have really gotten to know CJ during this. Interview. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is really, talk about up close and personal podcasts. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and you've got the game show background. I mean, if our listeners didn't know how committed you guys were already to uh, committed to the show, they, they certainly know now. The yeah, and that you don't forget have. the polyester suit I'm wearing. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, great work. Let me uh, just remind everybody, we've been talking about the case of Ferrara versus Terminix International. It was an $8 million verdict earlier this year on uh, in March of 2020. 
in the Spirit Court of Los Angeles. And we have been talking to uh, uh, Brian Brighter and Chance Pardone uh, from the law offices of Brian Brighter. And you can look them up at brianbrighter.com. That's Brian with an I and Brighter is B-R-E-I-T-E-R.com. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Yvonne. We had a great time. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. See you next week on Tell yeah. the <laughs> Truth. I'm, I'm going to have you uh, do some uh, recordings for me and just send those out. You, you do that so well. So, so good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so All right, good. Uh, Brian is right as the producer. Uh, it might, after I made you the host, I think it might be recording to your account. Okay. Uh, so I might have you send it to me or maybe I'll try and request. Sure. Just tell me how to do that and I will do it. Okay. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. I have the email. I'll send you the email. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. We All had right. a, really, a fun time. Thanks, guys, so much. This was this was yeah. a really fun one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we'd love to do it again. We've had some other really great verdicts, if uh, some very interesting ones. And yeah, absolutely. Let us know uh, when you want to do. Here, I'll show you something that we didn't show you, just so you can see what CJ and I like to do at trials. Um, I talked about the drawings earlier, and um, we use illustrations wow. during the uh, during the trial that show people because you know we don't we don't have photographs of everything you do, and so it, it and these drawings force the jury to put an emotional imprint on what they're seeing because a picture is posed but when you have like an illustration a piece of art if you will uh the jury has to see what it's like and we talked about you know how amazing he was with smells and tastes and and pulling putting it all in color talking about growing up with the you know christmas trees and how he described what the house was like and the smells that he remembered and then being in the bathroom I mean, we don't have a picture of what it was like in the bathroom. Right. And when you look at CJ, this really looks like the bathroom. Really you can just, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. CJ, take that pose. You, you, know, <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> you can imagine what it was like. And then him racing to the hospital with the blood pouring out his nose. And then the you know examinations by the various doctors. And then just he described living in black and white. Oh, yeah. You know, he was disconnected. He didn't feel connected <clears throat> to the world anymore. And, you know, they, here's the chart of our five senses. And to have two of them muted out was a tremendous who does loss. These, uh, who does these illustrations for you? They're really good. Yeah, I have a buddy of mine, that, an improviser, who's also a cartoonist. And his name is Brian Giovanni. And he he makes these for us in almost every trial. This This is one of my favorites where, you know, the migraines and just the – this is from the, uh, the movie Vertigo, you right. know, the poster, where you just feel like, I'm spiraling out of control. And this, this was my absolute favorite. The building blocks, his memories. And, and those memories go away. You start losing your identity. Yeah. And so moving forward, he's not going to be as connected to the world as other people are because he's losing those memories. That ratatouille moment is going to be gone for him. You know, he talked about, uh, and then we talk about the long road ahead. This is usually in every trial that we do. It shows this person has a long road ahead. We have hope that it turns out well and that they have a good life. But, you know, it's he's not going to be stopping and smelling the roses along the way. 
Yeah. And he's not going to be, you know, enjoying the same things he enjoyed in the road that was behind him. And that's the rest of his life. And that's how we measure damages. So uh, that's just something that we like to do. And we, we have them for all our 90% of our trials. Um, and so it's, a, it's an effective tool, absolutely. I think, in storytelling. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really awesome. Are you, so it, just one other question. Are you doing those illustrations all through the case or do you wait till you're close to trial? Well, so when we, when we know we're picking a jury, yeah. I call up my buddy. I'm like, I need some drawings. And he's right. like, what is it? And we sit there for about a half hour and I tell him the beats of the case because we've already themed out the case. Right. And so we know what the testimony is going to be. And then maybe during the trial, I'll call him and be like, you know what? Let's change this one slide. That evidence didn't come in. We need to change it and, and we modify it. And and then, you know, we have the storyboard at the at the end, right before closing. Yeah, no, we usually get them the night before, and I give them the CJ. I'm like, all right, here you go, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make them look good. Yeah, all right, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, great job. Really good talking to you guys. We really appreciate it. All right, guys. All Thanks right. a lot. Okay. You'll have a good one. Bye bye. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's going to be hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining and a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com, as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website. Yeah, so check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials podcast, or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at greattrialspodcast.com. Note if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. Right, exactly. <laughs> we only need a positive commentary. Yeah, we're fragile. Yeah. Um, you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say, um, our podcast is not available for review. We, we also want to thank uh, the people behind the scenes. Uh, one is Taras Misher, who is our uh, uh, podcast extraordinaire. Uh, he is from Podcast on the Go. And Allison Hirsch uh, from Capricorn Communications. She is a magician when it comes to putting these shows together and getting them scheduled. And this has been the Great Trials Podcast, and we appreciate your time and hope you'll listen again. Thank you for listening.